Hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller and this week I am joined by uh, Ian Silvera, the political reporter for the International Business Times. You've been good enough to come back again. Indeed. Uh, and for the first time I'm joined by Carol Monaghan, SNP MP for Glasgow Northwest and the party's education spokesman in Westminster. Hello. Uh, let's start with... He says, queuing up the jingle that he'd forgot to queue up. Yeah, my guests are marvelling at the high-tech nature of these jingles. Uh, Prime Minister's questions today. Uh, I don't like talking down Prime Minister's questions, but it was a fairly, it wasn't a bad one. It was just a fairly dull one. Would you agree, Carol? It was pedestrian. It's probably <laughs> yes. the best way of describing it. But a few things came up that there was no surprise that PIP assessments came mm. up. That's clearly a big, big issue. Not just this week; it's been rumbling on for a while. So there was no surprise about that one. And um, but it, some of some of the questions kind of got lost. I felt it could have been a wee bit, a wee bit more direct. Um, here's the big surprise: there was no La La Land joke. I would have bet my house on probably the PM, maybe uh, Jeremy Corbyn making a La La Land joke, and neither of them did. Can, can I say that I'm maybe the only person that hasn't seen this clip from the Oscars? So <laughs> I've heard about it, but I have yet to see it. You don't need to see it. I don't think they need to see it to make jokes about it, do they? Yeah. That's, that's the trouble. They don't actually see these things. Uh, Corbyn would still pile in. Um, anything grab your eye at PMQ, Ian? Not particularly. No. I will just, yeah, pedestrian... Woe to be a sketch writer. I think yes. they're trying to put them out of business. Um, and yes, I saw Quentin Letts of the Daily Mail pulling uh, quite a face, uh, as if to say, what the hell am I going to write about? With regards to jokes, there was the one from uh, Theresa May when she calls uh, Corbyn's leadership incredible. Yeah. She then sat down and looked as if she didn't make that joke. She keeps trying to pull off this Cameron-esque style yeah. quips and they keep falling flat, so maybe eventually she will stop them. It was slightly more lively. I thought Corbyn did fairly well on, on the yeah. pips, although we could also argue it's an open goal in, in some senses with a Tory rebellion looming, it seems, over the issue. Um, however, yes, fairly pedestrian. Um, Tory rebellion? Uh, that sounds like trouble for the government. Presumably the SNP will be voting against changes to the PIP regime, if they get a chance? Yeah, if we get a chance, of course we will be. But like I say, we're already seeing from constituents big issues with this, with people mm. coming either not qualifying for the higher rate or actually not qualifying at all. And this is people that have been on um, DLE for many, many years. So there's, there's clearly issues with mm. this system. So, yeah... The, Certainly, we're not we're not supportive. Is there always going to be problems with welfare? I mean, is it just because the government's been making cuts for the last uh, what about seven years, or can you just not win on welfare? I think it depends what you want to get out of welfare. For me, welfare should be there to protect the most vulnerable when they're in times of need, and the time of need might, for some people, be their entire life, but for other people, it will be a short term issue and um, they need to claim welfare during that time but what we seem to be getting now is uh, rhetoric and 
um, a direction of travel that says everybody claiming welfare is a scrounger, mm. is a cheat, is trying to play the system. And that's that's hugely damaging for the people that we are seeing on a week-to-week basis. I suppose that's the thing. We talk about welfare um, in terms of uh, handouts, essentially. Uh, it's always what the sort of focus is on. But, of course, the biggest part of welfare is pensions, right? Um, and you know, all sorts of other stuff around that, which most people would say, well, that's OK. It's not that stuff I want to cut. It's just the scroungers. Mm. And yet there actually aren't that many scroungers. No, there aren't. And I met, I met somebody recently at the, who was just had just signed on at the job centre and I was talking to her. And she was in her late 50s and um, following a stroke, she had worked all mm. her life, but following a stroke had had to start claiming benefits and she hated doing it but it was it was what she had to do but she was now under threat of having these removed so I think there's there's real anxiety amongst the people that are relying on this and we, we shouldn't that's not the country type of country I want to be in yeah it's a difficult one um of course Scotland has welfare powers now it's so, very limited uh, welfare powers can they fix it can they can Scotland fix PIP if they want just they can can't they but it's going to cost money right I mean Scotland could create a plus to make the, up the, any the difference. Prob- the problem is we we could create extra welfare. Let's mm. say there was an unlimited pot of money and we could throw money at things. But the problem is we've had no guarantees that if we increase that level of welfare, that that won't be taken back from the UK government. That there'll be a payback on that. So so it's, you know that's it makes it very difficult for us to actually increase that. Okay, uh, we might come back to that in a, in a second when we talk about Indie Ref 2. But first, uh, let's just mention Angus Robson because, again, uh, every week, Angus Robson, we go, oh, he did well. Um, he did all right this week. He, he seemed very pleased with himself when I spoke to him just now. I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't think he got much of an answer. But Angus Robson asked, uh, post-Brexit, I need to make a Brexit jingle because Brexit's coming up every week, what powers are going to go where? Um, and he didn't get much of an answer. Um, this is going to be a growing issue around Brexit isn't it because there are powers coming back and where are they going to go? Yeah indeed and it's a good question and it's quite telling that Theresa May didn't have an answer obviously in her defence that Mm. process is ongoing. David Davis if he was here I'm sure saying he's holding lots of meetings with lots of people to discuss that however we are looming now uh, you know towards the early March shall we say we're expecting that trigger to be pulled so it would be better for the government to offer some more stuff up. This links in to Fishing for Leave event yesterday, which was actually more about Nigel Farage at then than it was about anything course, else. Yes. They had produced a hundred word document and in it there was a uh, big part about obviously the, the fishing grounds in that heat map. Yeah. Most of it, of course, uh, in, in the North Sea. I asked them all about devolution and they sort of you know, they sort of batted the question away. I said, what happens if Scotland splits? Surely they will control those fishing grounds and effectively then if they do seek to go to the EU. Now, they played this down, but that's just one of the big areas that has come up and one of the big questions around this. And we relate it back to welfare. The government, Theresa May, can no longer keep trying to pull fast ones. You know, answers need to be provided soon as to what's going to happen. Fishing is... Uh, weird, right? Uh, <laughs> on the because it keeps coming up. It's it's a strange one. I mean, you know, we all sit here in our liberal elite bubble, and uh, you'll be I'll count you in this, Carol, because you're in Glasgow, right? You haven't got any fishermen in your constituency, and we all maybe in White Inch Pond. We all sort of go, oh look, there's some fish. Nobody really thinks about where it comes from. The fact that 
you know, and people, not from White Inch Pond. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from the chip shop, right? Um, you know, people still go out and fish, um, and it's going to be quite a big deal. And I, I, there's a sort of disconnect between us or you know, Westminster, who sort of don't take it seriously because it happens far away from Westminster, and it's done by people who are sort of taken for granted. Um, but fishing is actually quite a, a, a big issue. Yeah. And the weird thing is, you say there's fishing for leave business. Mm. Fishermen are all like big Brexiteers, right? Indeed, I sat around yeah. the table with a load of Scottish fishing industry representative, and they were like, "Yeah, brilliant! We're going to get loads of new fishing waters and all this." So their argument is, "Yeah, we leave the common fisheries policy. That's all our yeah. there for us. You know, we'd be able to bring in more uh, species. We don't have to throw back as much." And as the guy argued yesterday, you know, it's all positive. But as we pointed out, what about the security? You know. Surely we're going to have to have more boats. Will the Royal Navy have to do more patrols to protect yeah. our waters? It's not all rosy. That's how they're trying to paint it. But that's their perception. Their yeah. communities is that we'll bring back, we're going to have a resurgence if we take back our waters, so so to speak. However, I don't think that picture is could, the reality. And could I maybe add that if you look at a country like Iceland that's outside the, the EU, mm. it still has quotas in place. It still has to manage fish stocks really carefully. And and we start getting into a kind of sustainability argument. We yeah. actually have to think very seriously about the resource that is our oceans. Mm-hmm. And regardless of whether you're inside or outside the EU, um, these, these resources need to be protected and quotas need to be in place even in a country like Iceland that is completely outside the European Union. Um, somebody needs to leave Westminster and actually go and find out about the fishing industry. I mean, they all seem like they're just going to go to sea and just catch everything, is what seems to be their opinion, which, as you say, is not sustainable. It's going to be uh, it's an interesting one. But uh, Yes, and what's, what's extremely interesting about the point that Angus Robertson made is that, that fishing and um, agriculture are devolved areas, so these, pa- these powers should come back to the Scottish Parliament and yeah. that's what he's pushing for and we were told that we wouldn't lose any powers as a result of Brexit but it looks like looking at Theresa May's response today it looks like um, the UK government's going for a paragraph for for uh, fisheries and farming Except they're not devolved are they? In the sense that the, the power lies in Brussels at the moment so you know what powers there are are superseded by Brussels so it's a question of whether what powers there are are now superseded by London or whether the powers come straight to Edinburgh. It's but from our point of view, from our point of view, we yeah. want the, the powers mm. to be as close to Scotland as yeah. possible. And uh, London's, yeah, it's the London-centric argument doesn't work for Scotland, doesn't work for these industries. Uh, I, th- I think you've hit upon the, the, the point there, James. I think yeah, I probably have. In, in the government's fairness... <laughs> It, it seems to be, yeah, it's the it's the root of devolution. Mm. And in the current root of devolution, you could argue, Brussels to the UK, to Scotland. Mm. Whereas afterwards, what the government would argue, at least, I know SNP and the Scottish government would take a different route, is that the devolution route is the UK government to the uh, yeah. Scottish Parliament, to Holyrood, and to the Scottish government. Therefore, it is a UK decision when it comes to the ultimate 
fisheries policy. Right. Here's a here's a um, here's a smooth link. Uh, in about a month's time, we're going to have Anand Menon, who is the chief of Britain and a changing Europe, on to answer all your EU questions. So stuff like this. Get in touch, uh, politicalyeti at gmail.com. You can send in your questions about this, and we'll put them to him and see what he says because he's the expert. Um, but the uh, best way to get control of agriculture and fisheries is to have independence, right? Absolutely. And that is on. <laughs> It's but, on. India F2 is on, yes? But, well, just on agriculture and fishing, um, first of all, people people often uh, will attack us for wanting as many powers as possible in Scotland. We want all powers in Scotland. Yes. That's what my party's about. So yeah. that's, we want ultimate devolution. But in terms of independence, I mean, the Scottish government was elected last May on, on a mandate, and it, said, it said, very, said very clearly if there's a material change in circumstances, we reserve the right to call a second referendum. And it actually said a, a change like mm-hmm. been taken out of the European Union against the will of the Scottish people. So we've a very clear mandate if that is the way that um, Scottish government and First Minister choose to go. Uh, yes, as Nicola Sturgeon has been saying this week, she has a cast-iron mandate to call a second referendum, which is true. Uh, Theresa May, unfortunately, has a cast-iron mandate to take Scotland out of the EU along with the rest of the UK, because there was a referendum on independence, and Scots voted to stay in the UK. There was a referendum on the EU, and the UK voted to leave. So her mandate is equally cast-iron, isn't well, it? Well, I, I would say no, it's not, because during the independence referendum, certain things were said to Scottish people, certain things like... If you want to protect your place in Europe, if you want to remain in the European Union, you must vote no. So there were a number of people voted no, thinking they were protecting their place in the European Union, and now they found themselves, 18 months later, been dragged out of the European Union. So I think the Scottish people are um, rightly quite quite annoyed about this situation. Mm. For many for many undecided voters, that definitely made a difference. I mean, you're right. But, I'm always right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, those things that were said in the run to the to the independence referendum could not be expected to hold forever, in the sense that if you have a you know you could have a referendum about anything, for example, you know, the, but, if you want to keep the pound, of, you have to stay in the union. Was one of the of things, we could some, have had a referendum three years later about changing the pound for the you know the ruble or whatever. Well, let's let me change it and put it the other way. What we were also told was, if you vote yes to Scottish independence, you'll be kicked out of Europe. Right. And that's that's pretty, that's that's a, a fairly um, damning statement to make. And for, for some people that did, that scared them. Okay, and you'd have to join the back of the queue, except now everyone accepts there isn't a queue. It's there isn't a, a queue. Of, there's a, a sort of there's rally a, to get in. And well, no, it's not a queue. Whoever's it's got not, the best it's, ticket gets it's in. It's not who's, who's first in yeah. waiting. It's... Um, there are certain conditions that have to be met in order to be accepted into the European Union, and you know you have to meet the conditions. So, uh, yeah, yeah. My question, what I've been trying to get my head around, I don't want to rerun the independence referendum, but it's <laughs> it's, it's Carol it, does. It's, That's what's well, going to happen. It's going to happen. As a, as a, yeah, I think the main point I think a lot of people find hard is that you want to leave the UK or split from the rest of the UK, which is. Well, uh, we, want, for, we want independence. You want independence. See, as, the as the you, language that is used is negative when you say that. We want self-determination independence. As you would put it. However, self-determination under Brussels, which to some people doesn't make sense in the sense that you want a so-called independence from Westminster, but then you want to 
you know, some people would describe it as being ruled for Brussels. How does that make, how does that add up? For me, it adds up extremely simply. I mean, we're in a situation where uh, powers that we need in order to forward Scotland's economic advancement, in order to build the Scotland that we want, the future we want, we simply don't have. We've only got 15% of welfare powers. We've got no powers over defence, no powers over foreign policy. Um, very, very limited to what we can do. Um, but being so, that's the powers that we want. But in terms of being being a member of the European Union, we're not giving away powers over defence. We're not giving away powers over welfare. We're not giving foreign um, policy decisions to Brussels. What we're being as part of the European Union is a member of a club that that gives us gives us benefits of being in that club, and that's that's what we would want. But over the, just the counters follow up on that. There's you could say, and a lot of I know Brexiteers say, there's actually less democracy, even pro-EU people talk about the democratic deficits in the European Parliament, which is effectively a big committee because it can't you know, table any legislation. And then you guys want to be part of that. You're effectively joining a less democratic club. <laughs> well, whether, whether the EU is, is hugely democratic or not, we could argue, we could also argue that Westminster is not hugely democratic, first past the post is not democratic, we can talk about the benefits of different democratic systems, but the fact is, being part of that would allow us to trade freely, being part of that would allow us to move freely between different countries in Europe and would allow people to come to Scotland as they can just now um, and bring their skills that we need in Scotland. And it's, it's, to be honest, that's probably the most worrying aspect of Brexit is that free movement may stop um, because for us in Scotland, we absolutely need EU nationals. We need them in health service, education and research and science, in agriculture. And the, the threat of them not coming is, is serious for us. What about not being in the EU? What about being independent and not being in the EU? I have heard voices from within the SNP suggesting that actually there is a third way which is to leave the UK and come to some sort of, you know, EEA, Norway-style agreement with the EU. That is intriguing. Yeah, I mean, there's been all sorts of different arguments put forward and, and it would be that one of the things that's often said about uh, my party is, oh, everybody thinks the same way. We absolutely don't. We're like any other party. Mm. We're made up of a lot of different yeah. people with a lot of different views and, and that's another view that's been put forward. And, you know, but but what... Norway's able to do is trade freely in, yeah. in Europe. Scotland at the moment is under threat of not being able to do that. So, yeah, it, I mean, single market membership and being part of the common travel area yeah. is is really crucial, regardless of what what constitutional, uh, I suppose, uh, settlement we end up with in Scotland. And presumably, if Scotland were to go down the Norway route, it would not be a problem to have an open border with England. I Whereas if 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 England is our UK is out with the EU and Scotland is in it, the border becomes more of an issue. Mm. In terms of border with with England, if Scotland's in the EU and England is out with the EU, that would be for EU members to make that decision how that mm -hmm. border works. And it's going to be the same situation in Ireland where we will have a, a an EU and a non EU uh, neighbours. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody wants to go back to the situation no. in Ireland with hard borders and all the difficulties that that, that kind of brings 
um, brings to the picture. So, yeah, that, certainly I wouldn't be wanting hard borders with, with England, no. That would, England would continue to be friends and neighbours, but um, but that wouldn't be for Scotland to decide, that would be for EU to decide. Okay. A quick question. Just wondered if you had a response to Mr Khan's intervention. I think he compared oh, yeah. uh, Scottish... So Sadiq Khan uh, at the Scottish Labour Conference said yeah. Scottish people are all racist, basically. It, well, I think it was a bit more that was long and the short of it, it was, wasn't it? It, it didn't go down well in Scotland at all, and I'm, I'm, I'm meaning right across the board... Uh, within the SNP, out with the SNP, it was really seen as somebody who didn't know Scotland coming to Scotland and making sweeping statements about the people in in Scotland. My party um, certainly would would describe ourselves as uh, civic nationalists and definitely not ethnic nationalists. And, any, and anybody that has a close look or even even a glance at the SNP can see the range of different people and and uh, nationalities represented. In fact, I was out the other night with six council candidates and only two of them had been born in the UK. And I thought, that's brilliant. Well, that doesn't sound very sensible at all because the four of them are going to get sent back after Brexit. Well, the Tories, well, will, Tories will catch well, them all in their of, big Tory van and throw, send them one, all back. One That's of what's them, going to happen, right? One of them was my husband, who's an Irish national who did 17 years in the armed forces, oh. who is, who is feeling rather angry about about the, the comments that were made and also angry about the labelling of... of um, ethnic nationalists to the SNP. Well, at least if he's been in the army, he can fight them when they come to the door to put him in the van. He was in the, the Navy, I don't know that he would. He was in <laughs> submarines, I'm not sure. Shouldn't joke not about sure it. It's not really funny, but, you know, it's the only way to deal with it because, mm. I mean, at the moment, that could happen because we're not having this, There's uh, you been know, no the statement of EU nationals both in still Europe no, and here. Has still not been, no guarantees. Has not it would set. be the easiest thing to do. Um, so on on uh, Khan, then, all in all, it sounds like in Scotland you would say he's lost some respect. <laughs> that's so quite that's that's quite an understatement and I think <laughs> okay. I think it it's probably hard for the Labour Party in Scotland to go any lower but they possibly managed it last weekend. Oh, poor Labour Party. I mean, come on. You got to feel sorry for them now. They're just well, who knows what they the, are. The, every every time you feel sorry for them or feel some degree of sympathy, you have an incident like that at the weekend and it's forgotten. I can't help it. I feel sorry for. It's like I used to feel sorry for Nick Clegg when everyone was being horrible to him, even though he was signing off things that any sensible Lib Dem would not sign off. Couldn't help feel sorry for him. Um, India F two then, just briefly, uh, is it on? Is it is is Nicola going to announce it at uh, SNP Spring Conference in whatever it is next week? Next week? Two weeks? Uh, next it's, week? It's Middle of month. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks on Saturday. Is it going to happen? It's, I've absolutely no idea. I haven't had Come that on, conversation yeah, with, with Nicola. I've got a, a, my my feeling would be. I think we're going to see something, some movement on that at conference. That what would be that my mean? feeling. Some movement. What's some, that? Yeah. So some statement. Say, I will have an interesting. I think. I, I don't know. I haven't. Okay. No. This is, is way above my pay grade. <laughs> to, will she say I'm going to have an India F2 in 2018, or will she say I'm thinking about it? I'm going to. Well, we're always leg- thinking about it. Legislation forward or something? Is it going to be something short of actually announcing? I don't. I mean, there's of course there's a debate. Will it happen? Because we've got council elections in May as well. Mm. So there's there's a question. Of course, Theresa May last week threw down the gauntlet and said, um, "Show us to the Scottish people, saying show us you want to protect the union mm-hmm. by voting Conservative." So that's mm. that was really kind of yeah. That's that was a great 
um, spur to our activists, which which went down really well. I mean, that's so, a that's a whole a separate issue. I mean, that's another problem for Scottish Labour, isn't it? That you're going to have in local elections, and it's going to be fought on the basis of the constitution again. That's I don't know if that's ideal. Said on your podcast before, two big issues: the union and Brexit at the moment, and they're middling in between on both. Yeah. So, Uh, well, I suppose Labour would argue now that they're pro-Brexit, but they're not. <laughs> I, th- I think the problem is for Labour, nobody knows what yeah. they're for and what they're. You know, they need to, they need to actually make some decisions. But, mm. um, but, but apparently last week's cabinet meeting was all about protecting the union. Yeah. So, so they're scared, and they should be scared. There's lies have been told to Scottish people both in the run up to our referendum, and in the last few months over what we would get from Brexit. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I take your point that things have been said that have not come true. But uh, Angus's claim that the people of Scotland were told that agriculture and fisheries would return to Hollywood. When I asked him who said this, he said Tom Harris. Now, Tom Harris is a nice <laughs> man, but he hasn't got any anywhere close to a lever of power other than for the, whatever, right, Shawlands Doctor Who fan club or something. Right, uh, for the Telegraph. Well, yeah, oh, big movie. Lots of Scottish Telegraph readers, but, but isn't I it? Think, I think there's an overriding kind of issue, and the overriding issue is that we keep getting told you're, a, you're um, an equal, you're part one of the four nations, mm. you're an equal. Um, we won't be moving forward with Brexit until we've got agreement of the devolved administrations, and we see that that's not happened. Or oh, we'll work with the devolved administrations. Um, the Scottish government put out their uh, white paper mm-hmm. um, with very reasonable and sensible asks within it, and that's been it's it's a stone wall we're hitting on that. So we're trying. Scottish government's trying very hard to negotiate, and people of Scotland are seeing that we're being slapped down every time. Well, that, that, yeah. that'll only keep happening so long. I, yeah, I, I I genuinely don't know. I think it's a fascinating. Uh, approach Theresa May's taking I kind of admire it because it's so simple which is just as you say just ignore, ignore it. <laughs> you're coming whether you like it or not um, it's very straightforward and uh, it'll be interesting to see if it works um, I'm not sure what I would do in her place so which would be which would be interesting you know it's you think if you if 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 I were of that ilk and wanted to protect the union how best play it the only thing I would say is I don't think you can question her commitment to the union. Uh, she might be playing it wrong, but she's certainly or certainly putting out all the, the signals that it, she believes in it and wants to save it. I think I think she yeah absolutely I think she does believe in the union, but the 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 union is not a union at the moment. A union would suggest that you're equal partnerships, and we don't have that. So I think what she's protecting is possibly a a false um, a false system. Mm. Okay, watch this space on that one. I suspect we'll be talking about India Ref 2 uh, for the next <laughs> few weeks at least until, uh, until SMP we get, conference. Until we get it. Yes, well, that's true. <laughs> and, and after that, yeah. Uh, okay, listen, let's move on to uh, what I'm going to persist with calling a new feature, even though it's not new anymore. It's I Love Your Questions, and the jingle sounds like this. Jazzy Jingle in honour of La La Land, which didn't win. Um, I don't know if it should have won. I haven't seen Moonlight yet. I'm going to see that tomorrow. Uh, I'll report back next week. Um, I love your questions. Who is that MP? Anybody name that MP? Do you know, I'd I'd listen to your first jingle. I thought that was the one I'd Ah. listen to. Can we we have a party? 
What? To narrow it down. No. Oh. You've got to guess. Uh, fine, nobody guesses. Rolls <laughs> over. This, this prize is going to be massive. That's how we get, somebody actually gets it. Uh, I love your questions. Last week, Kirsten Oswald set a question uh, particularly for you, Carol. Uh, this was on the back of... His questions need to do explanation. Can you come up with a simple one for next week? Um, on Friday, uh, Ailey Whiteford's um, domestic violence bill uh, to ratify the Istanbul Convention on Domestic Violence was before the House. Um, as ever, uh, certain Tories got up and tried to derail it. Uh, three of them, they were defeated. What was the score? About 121 or something at mm. the end in the vote. Yep. The one being Philip Davis. Uh, you are, as she said, a teacher by profession, or were. Do you still consider yourself a teacher? Or I'm you, still a yeah. qualified and registered teacher, yes. Um, how would you deal with naughty boys, disruptive... I don't want to use any bad words. People like Philip Davis and his chums, if they were in your classroom. Oh, well, first of all, I taught in Glasgow Comprehensive, so Philip Davis wouldn't be in my <laughs> class. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the, somebody like Philip Davis in my classroom, my goodness, uh, what what an unfortunate teacher that would have had to deal with, with him. Um, the problem, the problem with Philip Davis is he doesn't actually listen. He doesn't listen. His way is the only way. Mm -hmm. And I think with somebody like that, of course, it would have to be. There would have to be sanctions given. Yeah. But do you know, ultimately, I wouldn't be wasting my time on them. I'd send them to somebody else. Okay, fair enough. Customers like yeah, send them to a teacher. Give me a paniyaki. Yeah. Paniyaki is not a term I've heard for a long time. Yeah, I don't tend to um, do paniyakis anymore. Um, I do like the way you slipped into uh, parents' night there, just going, "Well, Philip doesn't really listen." <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what would you do? With, do you, you admire Philip Davis Ian, and his gang, or are they just? Uh, as a journalist, I am, but uh, in the sense that you know it's good. <laughs> as a man, um, as a human being, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I just think he's a controversialist, contrarian for no um, reason. Sometimes, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm more about compromising and reforms rather than you know. He takes hardline and positions on a lot of things. Yeah, for I, no reason. I mean, I tweeted on Friday. He got up and made yeah. a very silly, childish speech, yeah. and he said, "Ah, look, the SNP are working with the government. Oh, I hope all their all their voters are watching me telling them this." And Ailey got up and said, "Well, yeah, I am because I want to get this through. So we're sitting down, we're acting like grown-ups. Uh, you know, this matters." Um, it was uh, yeah, I, it was very impressive put down because it wasn't personalised. It was just behaving like a grown-up which is yeah. the best way to deal with she was very dignified throughout yes. which um, came the the contrast between the two was really yeah. stark but on a serious note it, it, if if philip davis had um expressed some of the views that he expressed on friday mm. in a classroom you would be raising concerns with a guidance teacher or a pastoral care teacher <laughs> yeah. that that's that's how serious it would be and for him to be standing in the the House of Commons making such statements was was really it it wasn't classy, but it was it was probably more than that. It was probably quite um, quite concerning. Yeah, although uh, as you say, by by contrast, Ailey did come across as classy, which yeah. Yeah, I think worked out quite well for everyone. Really, um, next week, uh, in fact, Ailey should be on next week's podcast, uh, a post budget <laughs> special. Have you got a question? Can be serious, can be not serious, that you would set for Ailey Whiteford? I think I would ask her, who is her ideal dinner date? Okay, interesting. Uh, okay, that was, uh, uh, it'll be Alex Salmond, obviously. 
That's, well, what, that's, what, she's, that's what she's saying. That's, isn't that, that's what all SNPMPs have to say, isn't it? I'd be very surprised if that was her answer. Um, I'd be disappointed if that were her answer. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll pass that on next week. Um, for now, I will uh, we'll finish up here before we uh, bake in this tiny room that we're recording this in. Um, so if you want to get in touch, either with questions for uh, Anna Menon about EU stuff in a few weeks' time, or uh, to discuss anything in this week's podcast, I am politicalyeti at gmail.com or at politicalyeti on Twitter. Uh, I say tune in next, it'll be Thursday, for a post-budget special. Thank you. <laughs>